0: pod me home religion, science, myths and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? who's telling us and how do they know? We are investigating insights from around the world to answer the question: What does the material world arise out of, and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimension with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to undiscovered own spiritual own, realities. My own brother, sister, we are same, we are same. We are same. We are mentally, mentally. We are same. We are same. We are emotionally, emotionally, we are same. Physically, we are same. We are same. We are same. No difference. Yes. It's Consider it's considered that. It's simply, it's stupid. It's stupid. you want happy life. I want happy life.
1: Yeah. Saturday, Sunday, and Moon day. We're talking about the daily planets of the week, and the astrological gods who rule them. And their meanings.
2: Then, secret societies, what they strive to accomplish, how to get in, and what to expect.
1: Join today. Reptilians among us? Are you one of them? Break out your mirrors.
2: Then, I've got an interview with Dale Brunsvolt coming up, the reader of uh, over 200 audiobooks at RudolphSteinerAudio.com, and we're going to be talking about the epochs of the evolution of Earth and humanity and two Jesus children. And we're live. This is Robert Wallace, Adam Jeffrey. we got DeLois on the dashboard here.
3: Here. Hey.
2: (laughs) And welcome to Spiritual Realities. Uh, We've got kind of a provocative uh, set of subjects today. And on the top of the list is Saturn Day, Sunday, Moon Day. Where do we get the days of the week, their names from? Mm. And what does it mean? So uh, a lot of us who have been alive on the planet for some time have either recognized uh, that, you know, the word sun is in Sunday. Or maybe we've learned that there is, in fact, a correlation between the day of the sun and, and Sunday or the venerable day of the sun and uh, historically how we got the names of the days of the week. Um, But perhaps we haven't really thought about the spiritual influences uh, of the universal powers upon those days of the week, Hmm. how they were assigned to those days. So I think the main thing that I want to bring out of this is uh and I think I'm just gonna kind of cut through a lot of what we were expecting to talk about and bring up the Sabbath issue. Because mm. we we're talking about that, I think that's most important. Yeah. So uh Sabbath or Shabbat is uh falls on what's to be the seventh day of the week. Yeah. And you know, I was just reading something uh recently, and I think uh you know, there's these international conventions uh that fall under something called the ISO. And I forget the uh, ISO number, but they uh, are restructuring what makes uh, the, the day of the week schedule. Like, what is the first day of the week? What's the last day of the week? So traditionally, we've always thought of Sunday is the first day of the week and Saturday is the last day of the week. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's new ISO conventions that, well, not new, since so 1986, that's come out and are used by some that actually place Monday as the first day of the week. And Sunday is the seventh day of the week. Hmm. And I don't know if that would be the reason for most people's confusion about the reason that they go to church on Sunday. If And a lot of people don't even think about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Yeah. Six days you should work and the seventh day you should rest. Do not do any work. You or your bond servant or the stranger within your gates. It's the day of the Lord. Right. No buying or selling.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So... Uh, you know, with most of Christianity, uh, uh, Sunday is the church day. Yeah. So the teaching is that, uh, how did we get from Sabbath, where the Jews believe, which is the first part of your Bible, to getting over to Sunday as our church day? Mm. Well, in 321 AD, Constantine the Great
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: adopted uh, into pagan Rome Christianity, creating Catholicism. And, uh, dictated that sunday the venerable day of the sun would in fact be the sabbath day and no longer sat saturday and so they the reformation happened and a lot of people in the dark ages were killed and so everything was really whitewashed historically and then we come out of it into with the protestant movement and we all magically have sunday as our church day and then you ask the average Christian, why they go to church on a Sunday, or what is the meaning of this? And they'll tell you it's the Lord's Day. Right. The day he was uh, resurrected. It was the day of the vision of John in Revelation, or whatever. It's the day that the apostles broke bread, you Mm -hmm. know, on the Sunday. None of which actually changed the Sabbath. Hmm. And none of which actually changed the order of the days of the week, as they were historically known. Right uh, To change, you know make all of a sudden, you know, Monday the first day and Sunday the last day. So it is kind of an interesting thing. Whether or not it's consequential or not might be up for debate, but I'm of uh, the opinion that the Saturday is a blessed day. Yeah. It is set apart. It's different than the rest of the days, um, which isn't to say there's anything wrong with celebrating your Christianity on Sunday. I think that should be a seven-day, 365 sort of ordeal. Right. Uh, but, uh, at the same time we do, we we are ignoring the true Sabbath nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are also of the mindset that, Hey, that's old Testament. That's the law. Right. We're under, yeah, we're under grace now. Mm. Well, the whole thing about that is, uh, you know, Jesus said that not a jot or a tittle of the law will be undone by what he's doing
1: mm. until
2: all things are fulfilled. So that makes me wonder, uh, you know, which other of the Ten Commandments have we also gotten rid of?
1: Wow. Wow. Should we stop?
2: Flooding? Like
3: in society or just? I'm thinking
2: in terms of just mainstream Christianity. Oh, okay. A run-of-the-mill Christian and their beliefs about the Ten Commandments. mm
3: I sometimes think they don't follow them or they don't talk about them as much Mm. because I know in my church we talk about, you know, just showing love to one another and what Jesus did for us for our forgiveness. But we never tapped on the Ten Commandments because I think that's the true law of the land and how the Bible is also a guidebook on how you should live your life. I just believe that the Ten Commandments, that's how you're supposed to go about you know, how you want to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I think that um, it's interesting because I've been involved in a whole lot of conversations uh, about the real specific particularities of the Ten Commandments. You know, like even as far as to say, like the Puritans would really break down, let's just say, um, Mm, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And they take that one and they say, well, even the attributes of God, should not be used in this way so like if someone said holy cow well you've just taken god's name in vain because that's an attribute of god you know and that's that's actually one of the things the puritans taught and practiced was you don't even the attributes the way i understand what i've read about them anyway so even the attributes of god um you shouldn't use in that way Mm -hmm. inappropriately you know so i go are we getting into um sort of what Jesus actually spoke against when he was talking to the Pharisees, you know, that you're, okay, this is turning into legalism. You know, you're actually taking the law and turning it into a burden rather than into a guide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then Jesus simplified everything. He turned it exactly the opposite direction and said what we've talked about on here before, that the law can be simplified into two laws, you know, Mm -hmm. love God love yourself and your neighbors mm-hmm. love your neighbors as yourself you know yeah and that's really what all the laws boil down to if you if you're loving god and you're loving people then you're you're doing the ten commandments essentially if you're really loving god and you're really loving people
3: yeah uh-huh. it all that's falls a into good place one. yeah i understand it, that
2: yeah it is kind of an interesting question where in you know love god and love your neighbors fulfilling the law and the prophets yeah the sabbath doctrine fits in because i believe that you know uh you know a, a sabbath rest you know is a is a valid thing i mean it specifically starts with remember
1: mm-hmm. the
2: sabbath you know don't forget it um and you know at the same time the law and the prophets you know are fulfilled in loving your neighbor and all of that mm-hmm. uh so I don't know. Uh, part of me, you know, I used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Right. And I still think the, the Sabbath is Saturday. Yeah. And I still think it's a valid thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We should, we should develop these thoughts. But it is something to think about, something to question.
1: It is something to think why about. Why do
2: we go to church on Sunday? Mm-hmm. And if we go because we need a Seventh-day rest or because of the Fourth Commandment, why aren't we going on Saturday instead of Sunday? So if we're even partially partaking into it, it seems like it'd be beneficial to know why.
1: Yeah, I've actually met people that that try both, too. You know, they they mm-hmm. think of Saturday as the day of rest, and that's what they do on Saturday. Mm-hmm. They rest. And then Sunday, they go to church. You know, yeah, and yeah. So, so Sunday is the Lord's Day for them, but Saturday is the Sabbath day, and they differentiate the two, mm-hmm. interestingly. So Sunday is a day we commit to worshiping God, and Saturday is a day of rest. And interestingly, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. Not the man for the Sabbath, and and what he was talking about was again when he was being questioned by the legalists. You know they were trying to trap him, and it, it, because they were doing what they considered work on the Sabbath. If you, I'm sure yeah, you the remember the story, of,
2: yeah, of the grains in the hand,
1: right? Exactly, and the example of
2: if your oxen falls into a hole, are you gonna leave him in there until Sunday? Or, right, exactly. Know? Yeah, those are good examples. Mm. Um, moving right along because we have a pretty provocative interview coming up here in a little bit with Dale Brunsvold. About uh, two, there being two Jesus children. Ooh, what are you talking about? What is he introducing into our environment, collective consciousness, right now? Well, Rudolf Steiner actually—I think we talked about this once—but mm-hmm. he talks about the two conflicting genealogies at the very beginning of Matthew and the book of in the Gospel of Luke, and how they actually uh, there are two different genealogies that come down to the same person somehow, and so. Uh, Rudolf Steiner, a uh, clairvoyant uh, mist, uh, Christian mystic uh, who actually died 96 years ago yesterday. March wow. 30th was his death day. Uh, he actually talked a lot about that. And we'll also, also be talking about the epochs of Earth's evolution how we started out as a mist of warmth to solidifying more and more into clairvoyant creatures, then into intellectual but non clairvoyant creatures where we're at today and kind of hmm. where we're going. Um, next subject, secret societies. So uh we're talking about Freemasons, we're talking about Rosicrucianism, we're talking about Theosophy, occultism, even the whole skull and bones thing with, you know, the Bush and you know uh Carrie and them that, you know, in Yale, they're fraternal, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. What is the purpose of these uh secret societies? What are they hiding? Well, I think, you know, at the bottom of every religion, we have basically an allegory, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, of thinking, feeling, and willing. You know, the eye, the astral body, or the soul, and the uh, ethereal or physical. Mm-hmm. And when we get into these so-called secret societies, we're dealing a lot with esotericism, we're dealing with the occult. And what is esotericism? What is the occult? These words mean hidden. Uh, they They indicate that, We're working with simply hidden knowledge, Mm
3: -hmm. you know, Kabbalah,
2: things like that. Knowledge used to be passed down just, you know, orally. Now that more and more spiritual knowledge has been released into the public, there's been a need to follow it up with uh, an understanding and information. So then as a a consequence, even more esoteric and occult information has been made public that used to not been known by a select few. Right. And so in these traditions, they uh, often run in terms of degrees. So you are experiencing, once a person is being initiated, you're experiencing these spiritual mystery plays or mystery dramas. Steiner actually has his own. And uh, in the midst, in the process of seeing the characters and going through different lessons and having certain things explained to them, uh, deep philosophical and spiritual principles are explained to the initiate um, in order to make a deep impression on them to create an interchange in their spiritual life, mm. uh, which is considered very necessary to the attainment of these other dimensions. Right. So, you know, going off into another dimension is great, but what happens if you arrive there, you're unprepared, you're unrefined for it, will you be destroyed? Mm. You know, yeah, that's kind of the line of thought. So there is kind of a, a, a need for a deep cultivation Uh, that these spiritual, uh, societies are trying to prepare their initiates for. And so I think that demystifies a lot of, you know, like, are they taking over the world? Maybe, who knows, you know, who knows, you know, (laughs) uh, I personally, I think, you know, at the heart of Freemasonry, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. I Hmm. think at the heart of Rosicrucianism, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. Uh, theosophy, uh, you know, somewhat the same. You know, we uh, got people like uh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, H.P. Blavatsky, mm-hmm. who's known to really, you know, head off that thing. And she kind of had, she was know, like an antichrist, but she wasn't pro-Christ like Steiner was pro-Christ. And again, it was like the baby with the bathwater thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, these are words, and we should be able to use them all, but. Yeah. Yeah, there are did
1: they did they kind of butt heads historically? Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. So
2: he did he did speak you know well of some of her works, but he also spoke of her being misled in her prejudice against Christianity, which is
1: yeah. You know, I think I read at one that at one point they were kind of on the same team, or mm-hmm. and they started to see that they had some pretty major differences. So, right. Yeah.
2: And then Steiner broke off with the anthroposophy. Gotcha. The anthroposophy, which is mm. what I consider to be a Christian. Uh, 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 Christian theosophy.
1: Gotcha. So okay. Um,
2: and we got an interview getting ready to play here in just a minute. But
3: question: Do you know like the different philosophies of the secret societies?
2: Yeah. So and I, I think the Rosicrucian. Uh, I
3: never heard of that one.
2: Yeah. So the Rosicrucians they have uh, uh, outlined their beliefs along the lines of uh, hermeticism uh, with universal principles, a law of gestation that things need to process and to come into fruition, a law of polarity uh, that, you know, for a male, there's a female. For hot, there's a cold. So when you have something that has an opposite, a law of vibration, a law of magnetism. Uh, So actually, if you look that up, you'll actually find a lot of very uh, useful uh, spiritual kind of uh, philosophies attached with their way of thinking that will help you navigate your inner spiritual life.
3: Mm, So, that's more like a spiritual secret society?
2: Yeah, they're all very spiritual at their base.
3: Oh, Even though they have these
2: reputations on account of the secrecy. You don't know what's happening, so your mind runs crazy. True. Mm -hmm. But, and finally, before we play this interview... uh, I just
3: wish you would watch that movie. You need to watch that movie. Oh, Um, Get Out. Get
2: Out, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this is a metaphysical horror movie that everybody's talking about.
3: Uh Uh-huh, because I think, like, that one even though it's made up that one was based off of like physical attributes not so much spirituality because they only wanted the people for what they possessed physically not mm. what was here or mm. here
2: yeah so, yeah so that sounds like some dark magic it
3: was oh, that was such a good movie i wish i would have just saw it beforehand yeah so.
1: gotta see that one
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah. probably it's do drinking blood and does it have anything to do with drinking blood? No. Uh, okay. And occult traditions, well, the reason I say that because in a, a lot of the darker occult traditions that are associated that make this whole movement mm-hmm. seem evil because there are those who are practicing evil and doing such things. They're actually trying to, you know, deriving powers through drinking the blood of and an some people do that. a baby or something crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we're talking about. There's right. a dark side to everything. That's not. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'm going to spit this out before we play this interview. Reptilians, UFOs. I actually thought we were going to spend the show talking about that before the interview, but it looks like it's the Sabbath, which is good. Yeah. Um, so, are you a reptilian? Um, have you heard of these shapeshifters? Is this a real thing? UFOs, demons? Hmm. Demons is... are real. Yeah, demons are hmm. real. Aliens, I believe, are real, but are they what we think they are? Is extraterrestrial. And I think uh, the spiritual interpretation of these uh, alien beings is angels and demons Hmm. we're dealing with angels and demons yeah
3: that are aliens
2: that are aliens
3: oh okay i think
2: the draconian uh aliens which if you've ever looked into this they look like you know reptilian uh humanoids and that they stand they got you know two arms two legs and and they got reptilian skins they're interdimensional creatures and they look like dragon reptiles And uh, I mean, they really are the painting of like the primordial like devil image Mm -hmm. inside of the Baphomet, but yeah, you know this green monster or whatever. And so there's actually like alien, you know, species that fit the bill. And so if you make the correlation and you bring that kind of like, you know, secular pseudoscience UFO stuff into your religion, you might get a better picture of the reality of how the spiritual world is uh interfacing with
3: mm-hmm. this one. My dad mm-hmm. believes there are aliens out there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, oh. one time I prayed, I said, "God, please show me uh, let me see the angels." And I was praying for angels and and that week I had two major UFO encounters. Really? And I will also qualify that by saying that I had w- skeptical witnesses with me in both cases who weren't general believers in it, hmm. who witnessed it and became believers. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: So in one case, uh, this is up in Jackson, Michigan. In one case, it was in a car, and I was uh, uh, watching these clouds that looked like weird, like solid objects. And then we, get, we got to our destination. It was actually after a, a church service on a Sabbath. It was when I was in the Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, we got to our friend's house before they had gotten there. And I'm standing and looking over this uh, overlook over the city of Jackson. Clear day, blue skies uh no clouds and there was seven i counted uh seven or so points of light which were moving about connecting combining and Mm. moving in different configurations and 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 shapes wow and i'm like well i started to cry because i'm like this is like i it's just a very intense to see this and know like no matter what you think or know about anything no matter what you call anything something very intensely spiritual is happening in front of us. Well. Wow. Mm-hmm. And right before our friends pulled up, these things started to go off into the distance and slowly disappeared, disappeared, disappeared. Till finally last one disappeared, and our friend showed up at our own house and we tried to tell her, like, whoa, you just missed the most amazing <laughs> thing from your front yard. And she uh promptly got us a book, you know, all oh, those were demons and and you know, I don't know. You yeah, know yeah. but the intentions of these things were I just know that they
1: were Period. They were. You know, I, I think I think that's what happens a lot with humans is we we encounter and we experience mystery, mm-hmm. mysterious things, and we don't know how to how to put a term on it you know we're like why well, that was an experience mm-hmm. and so we we call things aliens we call things demons we 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 divide and we parse these things up and a lot of times we're probably experiencing the same things but it's two different people's perceptions of it and they don't know how to put this mysterious experience into words very well mm-hmm. you know so i think that's w- what's happening a whole lot is a lot of people are talking about the same stuff but they're just using different language according to what they've read or what they know or what they don't know Absolutely, yeah yeah, that, that makes sense to me. It does. Yeah. I
3: understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah.
2: And of course, uh, I hope you know nobody's offended by that, but the show is called Spiritual Realities. So I would feel real bad if we missed uh, at least touching on these subjects and then mm. correlating them uh, to spirituality in some way. Sure. Uh, so I think at this point, we're going to go ahead and air this interview that uh, I just had with Dale at his house in Denver. And like I said, you know, you're going to hear some controversial things about uh, how Earth came into manifestation all the way up. You know, there was a Saturn Epoch. There was uh, what's called an uh, Old Sun Epoch, an Old Moon Epoch. And we have a Lemurian, Atlantean Ages, the Deluge, um, which is the Great Flood. And then coming all the way up through the uh, uh, Indo, the Indians, and then the uh, Egypto-Chaldeans and the Greco-Romans all the way up to the current age so we've gone through a lot so anyway to dale i'm sitting here with dale brunsville we're interviewing again we had our first conversation on our first episode and there's just so much good stuff to talk about dale's back dale we're we're inside your home on location in denver colorado And we're exploring the mysteries of life, as per Steiner. And one of the things that we want to make sure we talk about is the matter that was uh, brought up initially from our last interview about the epochs of Earth's evolution and the significance uh, of what that means for today and where we're going in the future. So I know it's kind of a loaded subject, but... Uh, how would you describe uh, the epochs building up till now and the meaning and significance
0: moving into the future for hu- humanity's evolution? Yeah, that is a big question, isn't it? Well, last time we talked a bit about this whole idea of the human being having four essential bodies. And if we if people get a chance, they would maybe look listen to that first before they listen to this. Because these four bodies were created through successive incarnations, let's call them, of the planet, which is a pretty big idea in itself. So we have a body of warmth in us that is different from the cold-blooded animals. We have a body of warmth. And that body of warmth originated uh, so far in the past that we don't even have numbers for it. Uh, you could argue that time itself did not even exist at the time that this planet. Uh, thing began to come into existence, and it's called the Saturn evolution, and there's a reason we don't need to go into where Steiner talked about why he called it Saturn, and that's too involved, but let's just call it that. And he argues that that's the first manifestation in the cosmos of what could really be called the beginnings of the human being. He describes it as a hierarchical uh, sacrifice of the thrones that they gave forth what they call he called their warmth substance. They sort of poured it into a region of space, perhaps we could say. And the forces that were also involved in working with that warmth brought about the existence of this planetary entity called Saturn that was composed of warmth. And over time, it got more and more differentiated. And there were beings on that planet. We call them now in our time, the Archai who went through their human stage during that time. They became humans, whatever that meant. And it's talked about in the book, An Outline of Esoteric Science, what it means to have a human stage, which in and of itself is fascinating. So when we look at ourselves now, so far in the future compared to Saturn, this body of warmth that we have now is a remnant, is a a present remnant of Saturn. We carry the Saturn evolution with us in our body of warmth.
2: And when you're talking about warmth, is this something as simple like in the Saturn evolution period or of a wafting field
0: or mist or cloud of warmth? That rarefied. It began as something, Stanard said that was so tenuous, the only analogy we have for it is the idea when we meet someone who seems to have soul warmth. Like that person is just such a warm person. Hmm. He says, that's really the beginnings of Saturn, but by the end of Saturn, if you were to go into it, even though you would have no perceptions of anything with your physical senses, you would feel like you were in an oven. Hmm. But it would be uh, an oven with astonishingly differentiated levels of warmth in all these different regions. So, So it did eventually densify. And there was even moments of light. Otherwise, there wasn't even light. But there were tiny little moments of lights, speckles at the end of that. So we have a picture of, this is my effort of this. I can't say this is Steiner because it's such a massive subject. So what about the Christ being? I envision the Christ being as uh, in the Trinity. So we have the Father God, the Son God, and the Spirit God. And what are those? Well, they're beyond the nine hierarchies that you've probably talked about in your podcast. And I have from places Steinerss talked about it, you get the feeling that the ninefold bodies of the Christ are in fact all the hierarchies. that you and I, we talk about our bodies, our physical body and our body of life forces we get from the planet realm, our body of astral forces or sentient forces or consciousness forces that we feel you know related to the animal realm. And then in these three bodies, we find this reincarnating. Entelechy, this reincarnating spiritual individuality that's going through embodiments to learn, right? Through reincarnations. The pilgrim. And the pilgrim is, all the memories of the pilgrim are held by each of our guardian angels. Our guardian angels hold all our memories. So eventually, our task is to so enlighten ourselves that we can bring all that into ourselves and completely be awake here on the earth. And when we do that, the the higher, the angel that takes care of us is freed of a task. It's like their karma to do this, right? And then they're on their way. We say, Thank you, Dale's done his job now and he can take over for who he really is. I love that, I think that's an amazing picture.
2: And you would say this is about the point when a person crosses the, passes the guardian of the threshold
0: and takes on their karma as their own responsibility. and. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when it happens. I'm sure that's obviously a step, whether it's the last step or the first step. I think it's more the first step. Mm. So even in Steiner, I'm wondering how far he is along in that path. There is a story Steiner tells that the only person we really know for sure, or at least that Steiner shares with us, who had achieved the enlightenment where their angel was freed is the Buddha. So the Buddha and his angel are separated now, so to speak. And that angel could go on and continue its destiny after helping one human being achieve enlightenment. Okay, so that's the best I got there. So I, I imagine then this Christ being in a very spectacular, uh, magnificent picture that we never, I never got from religion. Religion always focused on the simple man of Nazareth and let's be like him. And, well, there's a lot of people to be like. You know, and then you don't give me a lot of information about Jesus. You know, the Buddha's pretty cool too. <laughs> so that's not very special. And and I think part of my uh, relief in life was to get the other side, to get the cosmic Christ from Rudolf Steiner. Oh, I just breathed a sigh of relief. I knew something was missing. I knew that religions had lost something, and they didn't. They themselves don't seem to know it. But I felt that I knew it. I didn't know what I knew, but uh... so we have this magnificent being who literally was the Father God's doer of the creation, that did the creation, that created the entire cosmos, as magnificent as we can see that with telescopes now, and the trillions of galaxies, and the astonishing power all around us, a being did this. And there was a time when this being then uh, fulfilled something where the earth came into being, and the human race on the earth was a seed for some future evolution of the cosmos hopefully not saying this with any kind of arrogance, any kind of hubris of any kind. But in the humblest fashion, we're trying to imagine that the human race, each of us, is a part of a hierarchy, a 10th hierarchy that is coming into existence. And it is part of the Christ creation to do that, like it did building galaxies. <laughs> okay, I know that sounds pretty weird, but let's go with it. And so in the Christ's efforts to do that, It needed to leave the periphery of the entire cosmos and contract and contract until perhaps at a certain moment it was as large as our solar system. The being of the Christ lived there and it continued to contract. And in that, we're getting an outer picture of nevertheless, his working in us even on the earth then. But those contractions, let's say in some way, give us a picture of that journey from the outside that was happening in us in the inside as the Christ worked on us. And so we get finally into what's called the Persian Epoch. I'm trying to remember the years of that. Yeah, I don't know when they went, maybe 8,000 BC, 9,000 BC, maybe earlier, where uh, a great initiate lived and his name was Zarathustra. And Zarathustra was bestowed by the Christ an image of the Christ by then His abode was on the sun. Zarathustra could perceive him in the aura of the sun and called him Ahura Mazda, okay? Mm -hmm. And so we get that, and he proclaimed to his people as he invented agriculture, as he gave them a society through his initiation that guided them in the unfolding of their whole lives. So he had created an entire epoch of earth history in many ways through the Christ's inspiration, obviously, indirectly, that he was coming. He is coming. (laughs) if you build it he will come right Mm -hmm. and uh, so Zarathustra then what happens there is he is of such a high initiatory status that his etheric body is so transformed by his initiation his astral body is so transformed by his initiation that when he dies they don't dissolve his etheric body and his astral body are maintained in the atmosphere of the earth and at a certain point in history then his etheric body became incorporated in the uh, individuality of Moses. And when that happens, you get a picture then of some of the wisdom that Zarathustra had because the five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, is really the imaginations arising out of the etheric body of Moses that was the preserved etheric body of Zarathustra proclaiming, you know, the the, the genesis, Mm -hmm. proclaiming the creation of the world. Steiner gave me that and I think it's just so beautiful mm-hmm. so what happens then as his astral body is is taken up and incorpor- incorporated into a, a person called Hermes Thoth from the, who was the literally the creator of the entire Egyptian civilization that's a mystery to this day the pyramids the hieroglyphs the the mummification what was going on you know we're still trying to fathom that. But again, these were all in a certain sense and there's a book called The Principles of Spiritual Economy by Rudolf Steiner where he describes how this is part and parcel of how evolution occurs. That the, you know, the etheric bodies, the astral bodies of initiates are preserved and they become incorporated in leading individualities of humanity. You've read this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so we get this picture then of Zarathustra going through all these incarnations. And in this book by Andrew Welburn called The Beginnings of Christianity, he talks about in, Z- in Zoroastrianism, which is the other word for Zarathustra, the great 13 incarnations of Zarathustra. And that in there, it talks about the two messiahs in the in the Na- Nakamadi scrolls. There's actually uh, parts of there called where it talks about the king messiah and the priest messiah. Now Steiner talked about these things 35 years before the Nag Hammadi work was discovered in, in his own way. Obviously I'm not saying they're identical, but I think they are, but I, I'm not an expert. So we have then this idea of these children born and one of them has to leave and go to Egypt. And Steiner describes that, right? That in there, this, this child was reincorporating the etheric body And the astral body that still hovered over those regions of the earth and it was a destiny for his father and mother to have to escape the uh, Herod's uh, killing of the children and go there in order to kind of touch base I don't know what the esoteric or uh, you know secret aspects of this were. why he needed to have these connections with the etheric aura and the astral aura that were still in those areas so that is that journey that I see of that peripheral Christ being coming to the sun and finally moving to the earth. And even that moving to the Earth required such complex machinations is a rude word. You know they, why did there have to be those two children, which I know is so strange. Okay, why are they there? Well, who was ever gonna explain two different genealogies in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke?
2: Yeah, let's touch on that because yeah. uh, the people listening might not realize uh, what you've just said. Jesus, there was two Jesus children, book of Matthew and the book of Luke, both have at the beginnings different genealogies leading up to Jesus and they contradict. And so instead of ignoring this contradiction, Steiner actually says it's accurate because there were two different streams, two different children that were built up. And on that day, to the festival when Jesus became lost and he was found again by his parents preaching to the scholars, that was a time when one of the Jesus children, their eye, went out into the other Jesus child and he became sick. The first one became sick and he would go on to die. And then his mother, would go on to die and then the families collapsed together. So you had these two kind of parallel families and by the end of the whole thing, they had collapsed into a singular family, each having their own Josephs. Now, did both families have a Mary or was the other
0: mother Sophia, did she have a separate name? Well, the, according to what Steiner says, yeah, Joseph and Mary were very, very common names. And of course, it's, it would be like so many com- names common in uh, our culture, like all the Muhammads. Right? Uh-huh. Everybody's name Muhammad, everybody's named Miriam. So I don't, people laugh at that, but if we really think about it, there are still parts of cultures we can see in our day where just about everybody has the same name. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's right, there was a Mary and Joseph where in the in the Matthew Gospel, he was really a kingly Joseph, older man, uh, wait, I've got that wrong. Uh, that Joseph and Mary were more mature, and the, Joseph, the, uh, the, the Mary in the Luke Gospel, really the virgin, as she was as, as such was very simple. And, and, and Steiner goes into all those details and I would probably get them slightly wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, why did we need those? Well, again, and it was so beautiful the way it worked was Steiner saying, look, a human being really is a physical body, an etheric body of life forces, a astral body of consciousness forces and an ego. And when we look at the human being by the time of Christ's incarnation, we're looking at a being that had become very sadly Uh, filled with corruption. Not only just morally, but our, our body and everything had deteriorated, all the vital forces were lost. The earth itself was at its middle age so the earth itself was about to go into old age and since humanity itself is united with the earth we were literally at our middle age in terms of how our life forces could keep us going think of how a child just has all the forces in the world to do and learn things and then as it gets older it gets a little more weak a little more tired humanity as a whole was doing this and right at that moment is when the christ works to bring about rejuvenating forces of the human being I mean it's breathtakingly beautiful so how does that happen well he says what do we do about the corrupted life forces of the human being i can't enter into those i'll destroy them the minute i meet them because they're so far gone well in the wisdom of the cosmos at the time that the moon separated from the earth and humanity had had was staying as we know from other places was unable to incarnate because the earth had become so calcified because of the moon was in it and the moon's forces were in it that when it separated when the the moon separated over a long period of time the hierarchies the beings of the hierarchies uh, as the first human beings started to reincarnate again as man and woman so they at that time when the moon separated we started to get a bifurcation of sexes that didn't exist before then as the bible actually tells us in genesis if you read it carefully right that they took from Adam so to speak uh, an aspect of his life forces and they kept it from ever finding incarnation they held it back in the spiritual world and Adam continued to reincarnate through all his lifetimes and Mary and all the human beings and other beings that human beings that were around and so they continued and this corruption existed so here we are now in Jerusalem at this time and uh, the time has come. the full, The fullness of time has arrived, and so at that time, then the Mary in the Luke Gospel, to make this clear for people, is uh, has this child, and this child's life body is the life forces that were preserved by the higher by in the the White Lodge of humanity, as it's called by Steiner, and there they are allowed now to stream down into this child. Okay. Meanwhile, the and, and meanwhile, it, the, the astral covering is actually the astral covering called the Nirmanakaya of Buddha, who sort of enwombs this and tries to keep it as perfect as possible. Because a human being could never have purified our, our etheric body to a degree that would allow the Christ to enter into it. We did not have that power. We needed the grace of God for that to occur. That's, I find beautiful. So, but then on the other side of the coin, our astral body was something that could be affected by initiation. And so we looked far and wide for who would have the most purified astral body that would have a chance of enduring the presence of the Godhead. And that was Zarathustra. Of course it was. When you study the the, the esoteric history of the earth, It becomes an obvious, self-evident thing that, of course, it would be Zarathustra and no other, who would be he who then was born in the Gospel of St. Matthew as that Jesus child, the one that had to escape to have a connection then with the etheric body of his past lives that he had given to Moses and to come in contact with his astral body which he had given which had been given to Hermes Thoth in the in the in the creation so to sort of reunite maybe i don't really know what the mm-hmm. esoteric chemistry or alchemy of all that activity was that he needed to go there and do that so then he grows to 12 years old as you said and just when his puberty is going to occur just when his astral sheath is going to unsheath, is when his ego and whatever other aspects of him, but at least his ego, uh, transmigrates to the uh, the Gospel of Saint Luke's Jesus child. And Steiner talks about this child in many ways. He says, number one, this child didn't really have an ego. It was a very simple child. It sort of emanated love. Everybody who were around this child, they almost were virtually healed in a certain way. He he was a being of such substance, but he didn't have any real intellectuality. He didn't really have any present mindedness as we would imagine that in our day. But then at 12, this amazing transformation occurs. He's lost by his parents, a simpleton child, let's call him, and when his parents go to look for him, they realize that he's in the temple and he's teaching to the highest scribes and priests of the temple, a wisdom that they're sitting in amazement hearing again these are veiled pictures that i think were done by the inspirations given to the writers of these books so that at a certain time someone like steiner would bring the key and we would all nod our heads and go i see what's going on it's this inner esoteric history now that brings an understanding to these outer exoteric texts to me they did it like none other has ever done mm-hmm. so then from 12 12 to to 30, 18 years, we have this uh, this incredible ego of Zarathustra then with this purified astra, purified etheric body, and he's able to bring everything that ego can bring to the unfolding astrality of this child. And purified, as, as the Bible says, and he was raised in what stature and goodness or whatever these phrases, right, till he was 30 years old. And during that time, Uh, Steiner in a a set of lectures called the fifth gospel talks about as he got closer and closer to 30 years old just being Jesus of Nazareth shall we say right that he encountered uh, uh, these these horrific experiences of the decadence of humanity of the deterioration of humanity uh, that everything was collapsing in in the spiritual world around us Uh, even the the great um, Uh, what would you call them, rituals of the past religions resulted in demons entering into the situation because they, they had lost so much. So he really saw that this wasn't something humanity itself could save itself from. And he became more and more despondent. He had this amazing conversation with his mother where something happened between them that caused him to almost start to kind of excarnate out of his body. He then has this wandering that Steiner so dramatically describes of getting to the Jordan where his cousin, John the Baptist, was. And then during, as we know, maybe you studied baptisms. Mm -hmm. And the idea of the baptism was John being a clairvoyant would put people underwater, and he would see them underwater. And when he saw their etheric body violently, shall we say, separating from their physical body, then he would pull them out of the water. And during that time of the separation of their etheric body, their life flashed before their eyes. And they had a vision, but it was a moral story, not a pictorial story. And they, they had an onrush of direct experience of their own immorality, and they would repent. <laughs> but they had to be ready for that even before he would do that. He knew beforehand that what he would do to them would work so there were many people that couldn't be baptized as it were yeah mm-hmm. so so that again that's a uh, an aside for our listeners of thinking about what the real baptism was as opposed to the, the the faint echoes of it that we have in all virtually all the religions of our time even the baptists don't really do that because mm-hmm. they're not capable of it they don't have the the faculties to and thirdly steiner says don't do it it's very dangerous for our time our bodies are connected to each other in a completely different way now that would be very bad to try even though it happens in in situations where people are drowning because the etheric body is related to water and we should throw that in that the greeks had these elements fire air uh, water and earth and we think oh how quaint what a bunch of naive buffoons that they would think that way but signer said no no they were thinking esoterically about these what was water what did water mean what did earth mean and they, it's we who don't understand them, not the other way around. and so our our we have these bodies of earth, air, water, and fire, literally in our four bodies that are our bodies. And so all of that ties into all this as well. I just wanted to throw that out. So we finally then get that baptism. The ego of of the Christ being that we talked about earlier that started at the very periphery of the cosmos has, contracted itself down to the point where it can actually be an ego presence in, in uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And Steiner said, when we talk about the passion of Christ, he says the passion of Christ in the mystery of Golgotha is nothing compared to the pain and agony of the Christ being in his contracting down to that point he says that was truly an agony he says a human being can't even even begin to understand not even get a glimmer of except maybe in the paltry image of the passion on the cross but that is just he's like sorry that doesn't even touch it but it's better than nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) so just the old catholics the catholics i think (laughs) in that regard Right. right So then we have, can you imagine then, into this physical body, into this amazingly pure etheric body, into this initiated high astrality, uh, a being who has never been in the incarnation before, enters into the human realm, looks out into the human world with human eyes, and has human feelings, however purified they are, and at the same time knows why it's there, obviously, and begins this transformation of that astral body and that etheric body and that physical body so that through those transformations, new forces are embedded in the earth and transmitted to all of humanity. And we get these stories, again, as exoterically said, but esoterically meant. The first one is when the astral body is purified by the Christ all the way to the end of earth evolution, all the way to the end of it. The disciples experience this as Jesus walking on the water. At that moment they were seeing, shall we say, uh, uh, manas. They were seeing spirit self fully realized. Then Peter, James, and John are at Mount Tabor and they're seeing this glowing white Christ with Elijah on one side and Moses on the other there steiner claims you have an outer picture of the complete transformation of the etheric body all the way to the end of earth evolution where it has become life spirit and then finally of course we have when he walks out of the grave and mary recognizes him we have the completely transformed physical body into what's called spirit man or atma that will happen at the end. And in each of those is a mystery where unfortunately Steiner are going to give it another 360 books of information, I think, mm-hmm. just on those three immensely magnificent pictures alone.
2: I was reading about why alcohol came into the equation. Uh, and the you know, during the Last Supper and what the significance was. And how it was basically designed to cause us to forget the whole reincarnation thing. So that way we could hit rock, rock bottom, forgetting that we had come from another life. That way we could, at least from one forgotten life, rebuild and start the building from scratch upward. And I remember how Jesus says he wouldn't drink of the vine again until he joins everybody again at the end of time and in heaven. And I think uh, that... The reincarnation and karma points i think they really are kind of uh the cornerstone of what steiner teaches and what a lot of movements are about because they answer so many questions the cause and effect and the point of life and things like that um and then there's the alcohol thing in terms of it causing us to forget our reincarnations
0: so that we could build ourselves up and fully realize ourselves again do you think well, we're that's in? interesting now, first of all it's interesting that, for instance, the Christian community, which Steiner helped to inaugurate, but he did not found it, for those uh, wondering. But it is it does have anthroposophy as one of the pillars of its theologies that it studies. But they say in there, and I'm not an expert on the Bible, that the word that is used for wine in the Last Supper and in, in that is not fermented grape juice, but just grape juice. That's interesting, first of all. Mm-hmm. So in the Christian community, we use grape juice. We do not use from alcohol. There's no alcohol in the service. Because that's biblical. Mm-hmm. Interesting, right? Now, why the other churches decided to use alcohol is interesting, right? Because were they, after Christ's time, still supposed to consume alcohol? Uh, maybe they were. I don't know the background from that. But, uh, but, but. The marriage yeah. at Cana, do you think that was a grape juice? There you alcohol. go. You know, I don't, and. I'd ha- we'd have to look at that, but I want to say it was probably, you know, it'd have to have been regular wine, right? Yeah, that would have had to have been regular wine. Wouldn't
2: it? I wonder, because when I was a Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh-day Adventists are against uh, drinking alcohol, yeah. and that's one of the points that they make is that ah. in the Bible they were drinking
0: uh, uh, grape juice. Okay, and there's a word for that in Greek, so
2: yeah. So, I so a part of me gets that, but in the context, in other contexts, because my main question is, did the— Jews forget their word for what they've been calling, you know, alcohol all these years, so that the translation nowadays, you know, doesn't hold true, or... That's
0: another question, I'm sorry, I didn't... Yes, I think alcohol, right, and I think Steiner does talk about this, was one of the instruments used in the fall of man. And we said, oh, no, the fall. No, the fall of man was a designed, right, a designed separation from the Godhead, designed by the Godhead, you know, and as much as it could be, right, so that at first, what did we have? Okay, at first, what did we have? We had humanity united with the Godhead. We had... But each of us had no self, no sense of self. What what would you need the sense of self for if you were united with the Godhead? I mean, this is pretty good. That's a good thing. I don't need to do anything else. Mm -hmm. So as we were separated, that sense of self only gradually appears. At first, let's say we were part of a group soul. Then we were part of tribes. And when you were a part of a tribe, you were so much a part of a tribe that you yourself had very little sense of self. So, for instance, when the Bible, Steiner, this is Steiner's description, when the Bible talks about Noah being 750 years old or Methuselah being 750 years old, he's talking about a time where consciousness was still so different that the bloodline held the memories of the prior generation so profoundly that when another i think it was boys i'm not sure if it was girls or how that worked but when the bo- a boy was born to methuselah when he grew up he had all the memories of his father and his father's father and his, so he was methuselah he was still methuselah mm. and so he, the 770 year old guy was probably you know uh, 50 bodies uh, births and deaths but the consciousness was the consciousness of methuselah Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then we see that even in the Bible, those age lengths, those extensions of those ages getting smaller and smaller. Those people live less and less long. I think, what did Noah live? 100, 120 years or something like that mm-hmm. by then, right? Uh, so, so we're seeing on the one hand that those shortenings of lengths of time are showing an, a, an evolution of consciousness that the individual was gradually becoming more and more aware of itself. Well, clearly, as you and I become more and more aware of ourselves, we become less and less aware of God. There's, to me, a very easily seen pendulum swing there. And in the Consciousness Soul Age, which began in 1413, you, you might say the door was firmly slammed shut. At that time, really in a certain way, humanity said, wow, the physical world is really the only thing that exists, man. (laughs) Yeah, they were, and they were so positive that if anybody brought up God again, you know, as those years went by, they didn't even stop to argue. They just laughed out loud (laughs) because it was so absurd, right? But, so here we were, tempered, alone, in perfect, isolated alienation. And over time, right, we're realizing, okay, the, uh, this isn't so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, mean, I could I could go on with a, a Sartrean or a Camus or or you know and, and brave the freedom and the meaninglessness because thinking comes up with that as a meaningful thing, that meaninglessness can be considered a meaningful idea, which I find paradoxical, which might be true. But anyway, so we get we get this whole wonderful drama from 1413 into the 1800s into 1900 of how to how to cope with now being individuated beings and and at the same time we have the workings of the christ ever present from the time of the mystery of gaga the two here but as you described so beautifully earlier in our discussion but working inwardly and working in a way that kept us free that allowed our freedom to remain at the same time that the still small voice was always urging us on in our conscience, in places like that. And we began to awaken to the inklings of a spiritual world again. And then we had, again, through that time, great, great uh, individualities who incarnated, who were able to break through and not only uh, absorb information from their physical sense organs, but could awaken the spiritual sense organs that are in our etheric body, and awaken the spiritual sense organs that are in our astral body. Because every one of our bodies has organs of perception. Every one of them. So uh, the fact is, right now, the only bodies organs of perception that we have are our physical body and our eye, our ego's organ of perception. Dale, what is the organ of perception of our eye? Thank you for asking that question, Robert. It is thinking. Thinking C. And as we've really, in the last two years of really becoming real materialists, many people have started to go, wait a sec, thinking has no weight. Thinking has no gravity. It has really no real location in the body we can find. We can play around with electrical sparks in the brain. But in what's wonderful, when they do that to people, Every single time that they create an emotion or a feeling through electrical shock in the brain, the person will always, because they're awake when they do this, they're always aware when it's their thought, this is science now, or whether it's been imposed by that shock from outside them. Mm. That is a profound distinction. That they differ. Well, that wasn't mine. That was you doing that to me. Therefore there just might be a soul in there. <laughs> and actually, to me, that's pretty rock-solid proof that there is a soul in there, but I'm not a good scientist necessarily. So so we get this, then, uh, beginnings now of human beings through thinking of grabbing hold of the spiritual world. Well, we're going to need somebody. I'm sorry, Robert. We're going to need somebody that can give us such clarity at that moment that when our thinking takes hold of the concepts of that person, that they'll feel scientific, that they'll feel as grounded in real knowing as the real knowing you and I have gotten pretty darn used to in this physical materialistic culture we've been raised in. They've got to be solid. They, I'm not, I, and I don't. I don't go for some spacey o e a e thing. It's got to be solid. And thank goodness I ran into the work of, to me, the great Christian initiate, Dr. Rudolf Steiner, yeah. because there you had somebody. And I'm, I'm speaking, I hope not out of belief, but out of a very careful reason study of someone who has penetrated into the spiritual world with a completely new organ of accuracy, acumen, careful, careful investigatory orientation that we have to call scientific. And then out of this amazing inner life he had, was able to break it back down into our world in concepts that when my thinking Appropriates them and works with. them I don't believe I work with them. I try to understand them. I'm left. I'm, I'm kept grounded. At the same time, that son of a gun. I think that astral body makes sense. I'm experiencing that consciousness body. I see it in animals. My my etheric body. Yeah, life. Sure, I can look at the cells dividing, but that's the result of life. It's not life itself. Life is invisible forces that perform those actions in our organism, and we're confusing the shadows on the wall of Plato's cave analogy, with the forces themselves that have to be out there yet to be perceived, et cetera, et cetera. And so Steiner gave me this new picture of the human body, which he then enlarges into the way the plant world works, the animal world works, and into the way the spiritual beings, ultimately, that you would find, not forces, but even behind the forces of the life forces, and even behind the forces of consciousness, even behind the entities you call concepts are literally living spiritual beings i'm a long ways from that myself but he claims that's ultimately where you will go and you will be united with them in relationship Uh, 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 in a sense of bliss that is utterly impossible to describe but that we do get when we're with our loved ones because all there is is relationship between beings ultimately even though we see this dead apparently dead matter and separated crud around us that we call the world it's really the maya that the west doesn't settle with the west doesn't say it's oh it's maya it's illusion i want the spiritual world the west says oh it's maya well that must be because it's produced by something behind it that must be truer and so i love that in the western orientation and I think the East is catching on, no offense to the Eastern people, that the Maya is there to be penetrated, to go through to what's on the other side, and not to be uh, claimed to be, that's illusion, therefore let's just enter into our navel and find the Godhead. No, the Godhead is there too on the outside as well as the inside, and, uh, but just imagining that. And so so that's, that maybe ties that together.
2: Those are good points. So when we're talking about how people have evolved uh, to a stage where now we can begin to wake up and take on our evolution, we were talking about how far a person's guardian angel goes with them until the individual takes their karmic work upon themselves, and then they're set off on their own. And how Jesus coming about gave us the opportunity, gave humanity the opportunity to awaken, whereas we would have basically been lost to materialism Yes. A long, long time ago. And so now the Christ is infused in everything, and we're trying to wake up to it by reconnecting to the spirit, using the physical world as a jumping off point. Through meditation on physical objects, we can shift over into the spirit world. And I think that's an uh, interesting point because a lot of times people want to start with something purely spiritual. And so they begin with something abstract, meditating on that, hoping to go deeper into the truth, when the truth is sitting here looking at us dead in the eye. <laughs> And we can actually use these material things, which are, in their essence, spiritual things, yes. as a way to reverse engineer ourselves back to
0: our spiritual home. Do mm. You know, if I might, yeah. um, one of the great poets of America died uh, on the Ides of March this year. His name was William Stanley Merwin. And, and I, I recommend everybody to look into his work. He won the Pulitzer Prize a number of times, and every award you can imagine. And he had a, always had a poem to me that I, he was a Buddhist, but he had a poem called The Different Stars, if I could recite that. Uh, it's a very beautiful poem, and it fits kind of what we've been talking about, the different stars. I could never have come to the present without you. Remember that. From whatever stage we may again watch it appear, with its lines clear, pain having gone from there, so that we may well wonder looking back on us here, what tormented us, what great difficulty, invisible in a time that by then looks simple and is irrevocable, pain having come from there, my love, I tend to think of division as the only evil when perhaps it is merely my own that unties one day the veins one the arteries that prizes less as it receives than as it loses that breaks the compasses cannot be led or followed cannot choose what to carry into grief Even unbinds, will unbind, unbinds our hands. Pages of the same story. What is it they say can turn even this into wisdom? And what is wisdom if it is not now in the loss that has not left this place? Oh, if we knew, if we knew what we needed, if we even knew, the stars would look to us to guide them. Wow. Very beautiful. Thank you, Robert, for the time.
2: And thank you very much, Dale.
0: You have a blessed day. We'll talk to you next
2: time. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, Dale's time there because that was only the first part of an amazing uh, 40-something minute interview that I had with him. The whole thing, if you're listening on the podcast uh, radio right now you heard the first part if you're listening to the podcast version or if you want to listen to the whole thing uh, go to the podcast at spiritualrealities.net that's spiritualrealities.net and uh pull up episode 13 that's this episode today and you'll hear the entire uh interview in its entirety and it's very interesting uh behind the scenes also i was talking with adam and i we're going to be focusing on this next week too about his experience uh just a couple days ago this last week, leaving his body uh, when he was going to sleep. And I know a lot of people have had this experience.
1: Yeah, just briefly, we'll talk about it more next week, but but a a brief thing is I've been wrestling with whether or not I was having a dream or whether or not I was having an out-of-body experience. And so I think that's, going to be fun for us to talk about in depth mm-hmm. next week. Um, I, I'm, I'm almost convinced that that I was on the verge of an out-of-body experience.
2: And I'm going to take it a step further and say I'm entirely
1: convinced <laughs> you were having an out-of-body cool. experience. Cool. My mind is wide open to that, yeah. so so I'm gonna, it's going to be fun talking about it. Yeah,
2: Yeah, based on the way you described it, it's, it's very uh, familiar to the whole idea of your soul or your astral body and your spirit or the capital I of a person leaving the ethereal uh, in the physical body, the ethereal being the uh, spiritual double of the body, uh, physical body, every single night. When you yeah. go to sleep, your soul and your spirit leave, leaving your ethereal behind to beat your heart, or, well, keep the blood pulsing, which beats the heart. We all know the heart is not a pump now. Right. Um, so, anyway, there's that.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, next week, uh, we will talk about that. I think we'll also talk about uh interdimensional uh, creatures and beings uh that surround us and correspond to our thoughts mm. and so we see this in, in christian uh, uh iconography where you see you know demons standing on the shoulders of saints and standing around waiting to get them yep. like what is summoning them how are they keeping them at bay You know, are they surrounding us all the time and what can we do about it? So uh, that'll be a good focus. Yeah. So anyway, uh, like and follow us on uh, Facebook.com slash Spiritual Realities. Go to SpiritualRealities.net. You can email us uh, with questions, comments, concerns about the show at Robert at NewPreset.com.
1: You can check out more of the work. I'm doing in the world at uh, ImagineVeganCafe.com. My wife and I started a vegan cafe here in Memphis, and we also make music at 3DayFlight.com. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week.
0: KWAM, your news and information station, with CBS News updates every hour on the hour. KWAM Memphis.